Dead Air by Scott Overton. Previously in Dead Air, having survived three attempts on his life, radio host Lee Garrett has reluctantly accepted police protection, but his newfound romance with Candace Ross might not survive all the secrets. Now, Chapter 19. Have you thought about hiring a private detective? Have them sniff around a little? Lee's cold, clogged voice was too rough to record commercials, so Mel Smythe had taken the opportunity to dish out advice instead. And pay him with what, Mel? Michaela's alimony money? Besides, the cops have their forensics labs and databases, and they've come up as empty-handed as a beggar at a Parliament Hill fundraiser. Well, what about the mob? The mob? What do you mean? What I said. If anybody's got information about criminals, it's them. You must know somebody who's connected. What about that construction guy, Martinelli? Lee laughed. Right. Hey, Vinny, mind putting me in touch with some of your good fella buddies? I need some information about crime. Sure, Lee, no problem. Maybe I'll give a call to the Yakuza while I'm at it. Okay, fine, if you don't want my help. But I'm telling you, you're missing a bet. The mob don't like fascists. They're bad for business. Lee smiled, but Smythe's idea wasn't any crazier than anything else about the whole ludicrous state of affairs. He was a grown man who had two uniformed police officers for babysitters. He persuaded them to sit in the lunchroom rather than the front lobby while he worked, but it hadn't been easy. He stuck his head into the newsroom. Hey, Dale Awesome. Hey, Lee Carrot. Lived up to your name this morning. Good show. He meant it, too. Lawson was taken aback. Uh, thanks, Lee. You, too. You're a bad liar. I sounded like shit, so I'm glad you were around to pick up the slack. He backed out of the room before she could reply. The truth was, she still sounded a little stiff in some of the ad-libs, but she was trying hard and showed real improvement. He wasn't ready to admit that Arnott knew what he was doing, but he could accept that sometimes life surprised you in a good way. Friday, he awoke to find that his cold had been beaten. His nose was drying up and he no longer had pain in his throat. But he still had to put up with a pain in the neck. Her name was Ruby Soames, a contest perennial. He knew she'd already qualified for the Jamaica giveaway when he heard her unmistakable rasp on the phone again, claiming to be someone else. It was a dicey thing to accuse a listener of cheating, but his patience was in short supply. This isn't really Susan Lambeth. It's Ruby Soames, right? No, no, I'm Susan Lambeth. I haven't qualified yet. Susan hasn't qualified, but I know it's you, Ruby. You're calling to help a friend. I understand that, but it's still against the rules. She'd probably swung a deal to split the trip if Susan won. My name is Susan Lambeth. The anger rang false. Look, Ruby, my caller ID is showing your number, he lied. It was showing a number, but not a name, and he'd have to dig through the list of contest qualifiers to see if it matched Ruby's. There was a noise of disgust that might have been an obscenity, and then the dial tone was loud in his ear. He knew he'd been right, but he got no satisfaction from it. Fortunately, the qualifier for the Valentine's giveaway made the morning worthwhile. The young man's story was an echo of The Gift of the Magi by O. Henry. After living together for a few years, the man and his girlfriend had begun to fight more and more over money. Their relationship was heading for the rocks. 
He had a late 90s pickup truck that he'd customized for years. It was his baby. But afraid that he was going to lose his girl, he sold the pickup to buy an engagement ring and used the rest of the money on a beat-up Ford Escort with too many miles on it. He didn't know she'd been scratching for odd jobs so she could buy him a gift, an expensive polishing kit for his truck. When Valentine's Day finally came that year, she accepted his proposal, and they laughed and cried as they set out to polish the Escort. They were still together, and still broke. They could never have afforded a dinner at Winston's on their own. Awarding the prize voucher to them gave Lee a good feeling. After nine o'clock, he surrendered to the inevitable and called Matt Miller. His shoulder and knee were still a long way from healed. There was no way he could risk a contact sport like hockey. He offered to do announcements for the charity game instead. Geritol can't cure everything, Miller said. You should know. Seriously, though, it would have been good to have you on the ice, but I'd hate to carry you off on a stretcher. Might ruin my whole afternoon. Your sympathy is overwhelming. See you there. I'll be the one cheering for the other team. Miller was still laughing as he hung up. Lee realized that Matt's friendship was more important to him than ever. He almost made it out of the building. Instead, as he was checking his mail slot one last time, Karen hurried toward him from her reception desk, mouthing four-letter words. He was about to laugh until he saw the look on her face. What's the matter? Did you give away all of those Valentine's vouchers from Winston's? She asked in a near whisper. Sure, yeah. Why? Because we're one short. There's somebody here to pick up the last one and it's gone. I don't know what could have happened. What am I supposed to tell them? Lee looked carefully around a room divider. There was a man in the lobby wringing a battered baseball cap as he stared at the cardboard Lee Garrett cutout. Young, a worn coverall showed underneath a hunting jacket that had seen its best days ten years earlier. It was the guy with the gift of the Magi story. Lee was certain of it. A sour taste rose into his throat. He thought of the voucher he'd been given. A special night out would mean so much to Candace and to him. God knew he deserved it after all he'd been through. Sometimes life played crappy tricks, and it was every man for himself. He stared at the blank fabric of the divider. Then he opened his briefcase, pulled out the piece of paper, and handed it to Karen. It's a spare, he said, but her eyes said she read the truth. The young man was pathetically grateful and kept repeating how much it would mean to his wife. He waved as he went out the door, and Lee returned as much of the smile as he could. Karen hugged him and said a quiet, Thanks. He told himself he'd come up with something else for Valentine's. Then he thought of the pile of overdue bills lying on his kitchen table like an indictment. The hockey game gave him a temporary lift. He got a kick out of announcing penalties for too many undressed men on the ice after a mock brawl sent jerseys and pads flying and unsportsmanlike use of a water bucket to drench the players on the opposing team's bench. The turnout was better than expected, and Miller was thrilled with the proceeds, but disappointed when Lee turned down an invitation to join the players for a few beers. Probably shouldn't push my luck, Matt. I might not be the safest guy to be around these days. He wasn't willing to risk something noxious in his drink or food, either. Just don't push all the fun away while you're at it. Life's too short. That's what I keep hearing. A family commitment had taken Candace out of town for the weekend. He missed her all day Sunday and tried to distract himself by changing the locks on his doors and windows. Monday, Valentine's Day, he made the draw for the special breakfast show to be broadcast from the winner's home. 
After announcing the name, he broke his usual rule and placed the call live on the air. It was risky. He counted on some Valentine's luck. Do you know why I'm calling, Mrs. Kaufman? I think so. We won something, didn't we? At least she'd been half listening. Lee explained the prize details and had to sound thrilled enough for both of them. I never win anything, she mused. The tone of her voice said she was picturing how much she'd have to clean her kitchen. Mel Smythe would need to work magic to make her sound excited in the winner promo. At least that contest was over. Now there was just the big Jamaica trip draw the next night at the new Sudbury Center. He couldn't reach Candace. She had appointments all day. They'd already set a time for him to pick her up that night, but he had no idea how to tell her he'd struck out on restaurant reservations. He didn't have to. She read it in his face and laughed. I had something special lined up, honest, but it fell through. The excuse made him sound like a teenager. I don't care if we do anything at all, she said, and gave him all the proof he needed with her lips. Let's stay right here. I'll even cook. I cleaned the place up and everything. The spark in her eyes punctured the last of his bad mood, and he allowed himself to be pulled toward the elevator, then cursed and went back out to the street to tell the police officers where he'd be. Damn, he really was a teenager again. Her apartment was equal parts tasteful furnishings and organized clutter. A few curio shelves in the corners were full, but not with the stuff found in women's magazines. He was sure that every item had a story, and he wanted to hear each one, to learn what they had to say about her. He turned to find Candace looking at him, waiting, not apologizing, as he'd known so many women to do. "'I like it,' he said. "'Very much. You've got good taste.' "'I picked you, didn't I?' She smiled, then dragged him into the small kitchen to help her cut up the vegetables for a quick oriental stir-fry. She didn't seem to measure anything, but it turned out delicious. He said so, often enough that she finally laughed and finished the sentence for him. Even so, he had to concentrate to taste the food and not lose himself in the curve of her face, the delicate lobe of an ear that dangled a simple platinum teardrop, the soft shine of her hair. Earth to Lee! Come in, Lee! Sorry? I said, what would you like for dessert? I have yogurt and... Yogurt. She waited in front of the open fridge. He shook his head. Just a minute. He went to the door and pulled a wrapped but rumpled parcel from a fat pocket of his coat. It seemed terribly inadequate. The store manager told me some women like these better than sex. He forced a laugh, red-faced. Truffles! Oh, God, yes, to some women these are sex. In that case, I think I just blew it. Her look of surprise made him laugh for real. Then she joined in and squeezed him hard. I have a present for you, too. It was a tie of good silk, dark gray with an exquisitely rendered rose in the center. As he looked at it, she gestured at the box again, and he found a delicate tie pin inside with the same rose shape. He held them out at arm's length. They're beautiful, he said sincerely, but his look held a question. It's an English rose, she said. That's how I think of you. Yes, and I want you to think of me, often, and for a long time. Her kiss both reinforced the words and made them unnecessary. They talked about renting a movie, but Lee spotted a copy of The Sound of Music on her shelf, hesitated a moment, and pulled it out. How about this one? It's got Nazis. I love to hate Nazis. She gave him a puzzled look, but said, Sure. With an intermission pause for some modest wine and popcorn, they had everything they needed. 
far more than he'd ever thought to have again. As the Von Trapp family climbed over the mountain to safety, Candace pressed her head against his chest. Do you think we could spend some time together, just the two of us? Go somewhere? I want to get to know you, and I keep feeling that, well, that life is getting in the way somehow. It hurt him to know the secret that lay between them. How could he ever tell her? And if he couldn't, he had no right to lead her on. Yet maybe there was a way to shut out the ugliness of his life for a time. I know a guy, she laughed. Of course you do. Well, he owns a lodge, Crystal Falls Lodge, just a ways south of the city. They keep the main lodge and a few of their guest cabins open through the winter. The scenery's fantastic. Cross-country skiing, he paused. I'm sure some of the cabins must have two bedrooms. I'm a big girl, she snuggled close again. It sounds lovely, perfect. Do we dare? He had no idea how he would pay for it, but that was beyond consideration for now. I can call him tomorrow, see if he's got anything available for this weekend. This weekend? I promised Paul we'd do something, but maybe he wouldn't mind putting it off, especially if we told him together. Are you sure you're ready for this? She looked up, and her eyes lingered over every detail of his face. I'm ready, she said. The center court of the new Sudbury Center was packed with people. In the middle were dozens of stackable chairs arranged in the rough outline of an airplane, but no one was allowed to sit in them yet. Potted palms dotted the space, and every available wall sported a CTBX banner. Steel drum music played from a portable PA system. Bodies milled around a pair of tables that held bowls of tropical punch and trays of fruits and dip. Three station hostesses in gaudy flower-print blouses and shorts directed the human traffic. Lee had to admit that Chuck Norwood was good at his job. When the last tardy contestant was registered, the music faded, the microphone was ready. Lee grabbed it, gave a showbiz smile, and welcomed the crowd to the Great 600 The Box Sun and Sandals Giveaway. This is your boarding call, he announced like a circus ringmaster. Contest qualifiers may now board the plane and take any seat you choose. We ask friends and relatives to stay outside in the airport lounge. The words drew a few chuckles, but people were already buzzing among the chairs, asking each other how they thought the prize draw would be done. Some went straight to a seat they'd picked out minutes before, others slowed things up while they tried to choose. Lee drew on patience born of long experience. When the clamor quieted, he introduced the rest of the station staff on hand, thanked the contest sponsors, and went over the prize details again to build excitement. That wasn't hard. The minus twenty temperature outside ensured these people were feverish to win. Finally, Norwood gave him a nod. The PA system played a timpani role. Now for a trip for two to the exclusive Sandals Resort in Ocho Rios, Jamaica. One of the seats on our plane has a CTBX window sticker stuck to the bottom of it. If you're in that seat, you're our winner. There was pandemonium even before he'd finished his spiel. Chairs swinging through the air nearly rearranged some dental work. A few people waited until the worst of the mayhem settled and then lifted their chairs. A thirty-something woman in the middle, seven rows back, began to jump up and down. It's my chair! I've got it! I've got it! Her squeals were nearly drowned out by moans. Norwood made his way through the row to confirm the win, followed by a man who vibrated with excitement. The man and woman danced in a fierce clinch as Norwood put his fist into the air and the crowd applauded the couple to the stage.
Angela and Tim Gordon were perfect winners, gracious and grateful, stunned but vocal, and at the young end of the CTBX demographic. With a couple of young kids and a small convenience store to run, they'd never even had a honeymoon, let alone a vacation trip. Their answers to Lee's questions brought some sympathetic laughs. Then he thanked the rest of the contestants and announced consolation prizes for them of Tropic Tan and vouchers to a local tanning salon, available from the station hostesses on the way out. He kept the Gordons to do a live cut-in with Tracy Banderjee back at the station, then had Tracy record another short interview for him to run the next day on the morning show. The couple remembered to thank the station repeatedly and even got the call letters right. Perfect sound bites that would play for weeks to come. Lee saw Norwood pump his fist in the air again and couldn't help smiling. Life was a bitch, but it had its moments. The absence of the cable TV van was a relief as Candace pulled over to the curb in front of the Schwartz's house. Paul answered the door with a big smile. I didn't think you'd be back so soon, Mr. Garrett. Hi, Paul. Just call me Lee, okay? Ms. Ross, Candace, and I wanted to talk to you about something, and since she was coming by today anyway, we came together. Remember I was going to take you out for a little training this weekend, Paul, and to help you get something for your uncle's birthday? Do you think it would be all right with you if we put that off until Monday or Tuesday? Sure, okay. You could come too, Lee. Or are you going away with your listeners? It took a moment for Lee to catch the reference. You mean the Jamaica trip? No. He laughed. I don't get to go along. Wish I could. Jamaica, yeah. That's where the black guys keep coming from. Lee looked at Candace. Well, I guess the color of a person's skin doesn't make any difference to you, huh, Paul? I can tell black guys. They talk different. They come here because there are jobs. Do you have any ideas about what your uncle might like for his birthday? Candace asked quickly. Paul thought, then smiled. Got any friends that look like you? She turned away, embarrassed. The boy had never seen her, so he was parroting something he'd overheard. Lee's voice came out sharper than he intended. Cute, Paul, but seriously, would your uncle like tools or maybe sports equipment? He has lots of tools. He gets them from work. He doesn't play any sports, just watches them on TV. But maybe that's something. A TV remote. One of those remotes that works the TV and DVD player, too? He turned his head. Uncle Lenny thinks I lost his. We could get one of those, if it's not too much money. That's fine, Paul. Or maybe we'll think of some more ideas while we're at the mall. How about I pick you up right after school? Sure. How come you have to change it anyway? What's wrong with this weekend? She looked at Lee, but he only shrugged. Uh, Lee and I have somewhere else to go this weekend. We're going on a little vacation to a resort. They have, they have room for us this weekend, she ended lamely. Are you going to sleep together? Her mouth fell open. Lee snapped, separate bedrooms, Paul, but it's not appropriate for you to ask something like that. Sorry, I didn't mean to make anybody mad. Sorry, Ms. Ross. That's all right, Paul. We're hoping to do some skiing or snowshoeing. Maybe we can take you out for something like that one of these days. Yeah, that'd be great. There was a little more small talk, but it was strained, and they wanted to leave before Lenny Schwartz could arrive. In the car, Lee asked, What was that all about? I don't know. I've never seen him like that. Maybe he got it from some older kids at school. I just don't know. Lee had his own opinion. They didn't talk much on the way back to her apartment. 
Thursday morning's breakfast show from the Kaufman family kitchen was a revelation. After Dorothy's lukewarm reaction to winning the contest, Lee expected an ordeal. The whole family was petrified at the thought of being on the radio. Why people like that entered radio contests, he'd never know. But Dorothy Kaufman turned out to have an infectious laugh that saved the day. Her nervousness amplified it, and as she tittered over each of Lee's jokes, he played her shamelessly until her helpless gales of laughter swept through all of them. That made her husband Everett loosen up, and by the end of the morning Lee was playing straight man to Ev's raucous commentary. He didn't mind at all. It was glorious, impromptu radio, fun radio. Even the two young kids, Jeffrey and Elise, ended up on his lap singing nursery rhymes into the microphone. When the show was over, it felt like leaving good friends. The shy family who'd greeted him with such anxious faces and fussed over the state of their well-worn home now waved goodbye from the doorway, inviting him to come back any time. It was the kind of good day that made up for so many bad ones. He was in an even better mood Friday, anticipating the weekend with Candace. The weather forecast was perfect. She'd emailed pictures of a couple of new outfits she'd bought on sale. He was blissfully off guard when the control room phone lit up. The voice chilled his blood, then brought it to a boil. Hey, dead man. Are you there, dead man? What do you want? Lee snarled. I've got only one thing to say to you. Have the guts to go to the grave alone. Don't take others with you. The phone clicked hard and the dial tone screamed at him. He slammed the counter. The caller ID had been blocked. I've been in groups of people lots of times in the past couple of weeks, Lee said to Davis when she came to see him after 9.30. That show at McDonald's, a charity hockey game, our big vacation giveaway at the new Sudbury Center, and yesterday the show from the Kaufman's place. Do you think that's it? He's accusing me of trying to protect myself by making sure I'm surrounded by other people? Your guess is as good as mine, she nodded, tired. Her uniform had finally lost a little of its sharp press, and so had her face. The flat winter sunlight ungraciously revealed new lines around her eyes and mouth. That makes a certain sense, a coward accusing someone else of being a coward. Except your public appearances have been an advantage to him. He's known where to find you and roughly how long you'd be there. He didn't say anything about your police protection. Maybe he still doesn't know about it. You keep saying he. I still don't see this as a gang thing. Police services in Canada use software called PowerCase. It's shared, networked, so if a case in one jurisdiction has similarities to another, a flag goes up. We're alerted and we can make comparisons. There haven't been any other cases like this with the Skins or anybody else. None. And if it is a gang, why don't they use their numbers to make sure you can't escape, ensure their success? That's the profile I keep expecting and that's what we haven't got. Aren't you the one who tells me to count my blessings? Anyway, just so you know, I asked the chief to call off the watchdogs for the weekend, my protection detail. You what? The chief won't do that. It took a lot of persuasion, and it's only temporary. I'm following everyone's advice and getting out of town for a weekend, with a lady friend, and she doesn't know about all this. Seeing cops on our tail isn't how I want her to find out. The alarm in Davis's eyes and her tight-lipped silence made him uneasy.
Don't miss the next episode of Dead Air, Chapter 20, as Lee tries to escape his ordeal by going on a romantic getaway with Candace. But when tragedy follows, he realizes that there is no escape. If you can't wait to find out what happens next, pick up a copy of Dead Air at your favorite book outlets listed at my website, scottoverton.ca. Podcast music by audionautics.com, and I'm Scott Overton. Scott Overton.